are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Well, good morning. Welcome home. Welcome back. Praise the Lord. See, one of our core values here at Cole Community Church is genuineness. You know what? Being real. Uh, you know, I, I strive to be the same guy I am up here as I am out there as I am Monday to Fridays, right? And, and to be able to walk in that place, I, I, I think that we need to hit real topics and have real discussions as families. Amen? And I really would like to take a look at that whole area this morning of depression, maybe sadness, just that, that sense where it's just kind of like, man, what do I, what do I got to do to get through this? You see, I think often as believers, we don't want to talk about that. You know, I, I, I think we, we use scriptures like, you know what, the joy of my, the Lord is my strength, and we, we just kind of grab ourselves and say, you know, I'm not going to let myself go there, and we just kind of pull ourselves up by this bootstraps, but then all of a sudden something happens and it's just kind of like, what is wrong with me? Why, why am I struggling with this? Why is this happening over and over again? What is this that is attacking me? And we just don't, we don't want to admit or we just don't want to walk in that place or we just don't want to talk about it because we think that it's, it's shameful. Depression is universal. It's no respecters of persons. It touches the poor, the rich, the weak, the mighty, the educated, the uneducated, it hits everyone because ultimately it's not caused by circumstances, possessions, position, but by, rather by the one way that handles life. See, it attacks the young, it attacks the old, it attacks males and females, rich and the poor alike, and it can be absolutely nasty. There are different openings in depression. Sometimes it's a chemical imbalance. Sometimes it's something that we allow into our lives that, that we just have to be aware to be able to shut that door. Things like disappointment and failure. We tend to become depressed when our expectations are not met. Tim LaHaye says, out of the hundreds of depressed, uh, depressed cases that I have examined, without exception, they begin with a disappointment or an experience where the individual was displeased. People tend to become depressed when they become disappointed in their performance, in others' performance, or when something they were expecting did not materialize. Another entry point is to hold on to an unbiblical self-concept of disappointment or failure. Walking in that place and thinking, you know what, I'm worthless. I, man, I just, I don't know what it is about me, but I just can't hit my stride. I'm just, I'm, I'm fighting a losing battle. And we start to believe all this stuff that's not real. And it just starts to compound about us because you know what? Scripture says that we are bought with a price. It says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. It says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But see, the Bible tells us that the enemy is like the father of lies. He always lies. And if he can get our eyes off of who God is and we start to focus on ourselves, we start to focus on our, our insufficiencies, you know what, we're going to find them. You know, when I do marriage counseling, 
I quite often say that in marriage conferences and in counseling uh, sessions because it's that whole thing of expectations in marriage, isn't it? That's that whole contract versus covenant which we talk about so often. See, when you walk into a place of, of, of contract, it's, it's conditional. I will do this if you do this. But eventually, one person is going to let the other person down and the contract is null and void. But with covenant, it's, you know what, I'm going to do this no matter what. I'm going to fight for you no matter what. I am going to pray for you no matter what. And when we have that in our lives and we start to look for faults in our spouse, you know what, we're going to find them. And we start to look for faults in ourselves, you know what, we're going to find them. And the last major entry point that I see for depression can be rejection. Rejection from others. We all have a basic need for the ABC tripod of stability, acceptance, belongingness, and competence. When any one of those suffer, it may trigger that thing of depression. I want to take a look at a mountaintop experience. I remember I was, I was a boy from Ontario, and I remember moving out here back when I was 20 years old. And I remember the very first time I went out to the mountains, and I was just like, man, this is unreal. I've seen pictures of mountains before, but I never experienced for myself. And I remember my, the Bible college went off there, and they took us up the gondola, and we went up the gondola. And I remember sitting in a formation of, of the rock up there. That it looked like a chair. And I just sat in there, and it just kind of molded to my body. And I'm just like, God, you made this for me. And Lord, what a spiritual experience I had up on that mountaintop. And in our lives, when we just hit the ball out of the park, when we have those, those mountaintop experiences, aren't they awesome? Every one of us in this room could tell a story about something that God has done, something that was like, oh man, I tell you what, in my marriage it looked like it was over, but God... Oh, man, you know what? I had a health issue, and it looked like the doctor gave me a bad report, and it looked like I wasn't going to win, but God. Oh, man, I was just feeling so down and out, and I, I was just getting kicked around, but God. I, I, I've been uh, using that um, Apple Music, and Apple Music is kind of neat, or Spotify, where you can make playlists, and, and you don't have to have the, the music. You can have the, uh, you, you use their 30 billion songs, and you can make your playlist. Well, I made an old Christian playlist. I call it Old Christian. And I put on there like DeGarmo and Key and, and Res Band and White Cross and White Heart. And, and John Camp and I, we went into Edmonton uh, last week to, to, to do some hospital visitations and to pray for some people. And uh, we, we, we went down there and we talked all the way back. And the way, and the way uh, back to Coal Lake, I was getting a little bit tired. And I always like to listen to that sort of that pump-up music. And it's, it's, that's, a, that's an area of contention for me and Cindy when I drive. You see, like, I love listening to the 80s and just kind of like something kind of happy and fun. And it's kind of like keep you going. And Cindy loves listening to worship music and she can't really stand that. So, like, when we listen to worship music, I enjoy worship music. I enjoyed this morning, but when I'm driving, it makes me so tired. I'm just like, hallelujah, you know? But, but, but that 80s worship just kind of keeps you up. But it, so I had John Camp there, and I'm like, well, I don't know if he'd really like listening to 80s secular music. That might bother him. He's one of my board members, so i got to put on a good act. And, um, and, I, and I'll put on some of this. I'll, I'll wear that. I'll listen to that old Christian music that I said. That, I, that uh, list that I had. So I started playing that. 
and the guitar started wailing and this kind of stuff. And I turned to John and said, wow, I never noticed. But do you notice that most of the 80s songs are all about the devil's going to get you, but God's bigger? Like, oh, I was down and out, and I, was, and I wasn't going to make it, but God is bigger. And I'm just like, man, that's so true today. That we walk in that place, and I think that if we just get our eyes off for a moment, just, just for a moment, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like Peter, when he gets out of the boat and he starts walking on water, and he's just looking at Jesus. And all of a sudden he stops and he looks at the storm and he starts to look at the waves and he gets scared. And he starts to sink. And he cries out, Lord, help me. And Jesus reaches down and grabs him. How many times do we do that in our lives? Just, just for a moment, get our eyes off of the Lord. And all of a sudden we start to sink. And all of a sudden we start to feel that heaviness. And all of a sudden we just start to feel like, you know what, I can't do it. I just can't make it. You know, life is not fair. My marriage is awful. My life is unfair. And we start to focus on all this stuff. Guys, I've been there. I hate it. And it's so important just to fight and say, God, realign me for what you have. Open up my ears so I can hear the truth, God, because I'm being blinded right now by deceit. And God, I need what you have. I need a word, a fresh word for this moment. One of the greatest biblical examples of a mountaintop experience is found in 1 Kings 18. And I'm going to ask Kurt to come on up here while I read this scripture. It's 1 Kings 18, starting at chapter 16. So Obadiah went to tell Abram that Elijah had come, and Abram went out to meet Elijah. When Abram saw him, he explained, so uh, Ahab saw him, he explained, so it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commandments of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asher, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls, and the prophets of Baal may choose whether which one of they would wish to cut into pieces and lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting fire to it. I'll prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Then we'll call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers setting fire to the wood of the, is the true God, and the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it, and call on the name of your God, but do not set the fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the other name of the Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. They danced, they hobbled around the altar they had made. And about noontime, Elijah begins mocking them. I love that. You have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a God. Perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself. 
Or maybe he's away on a trip or asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shout it louder and following their normal customs. Isn't this interesting? We think cutting is a new thing for today. But following their normal customs, they begin to cut themselves with knives and swords until blood gushed out. It was used for demonic worship back then as well. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called the people, come over here. They all crowd around him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stone to rebuild the altar of the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, lay the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering of the wood. After they had done this, they said, do not do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did, and he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trenches. At the usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah prophet walked up the altar and simply prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all that you have commanded. O Lord, answer me so these people will know that you are Lord, our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Have you experienced that? A mountaintop experience where it's just like God is so awesome. All right. So I've asked Kurt to come this morning and share a mountaintop experience. No pressure. Okay, that worked. Um, I kind of find it interesting as I look out here, I look at John Camp, I look at many of you, and I see uh, many mountaintop experiences that you've had that are probably going to be much huger than the mountaintop experience I have. It's kind of what you've been talking about with depression, isn't it? Looking out and seeing everybody else is better than you are. And it kind of keeps you down. But there's a few things in my life that are very important. Loyalty. Love of my family. Those are some pretty huge things. And one of the mountaintop experiences in my life is a real simple thing. You see, it kind of goes with the blessing that we were talking about. At Chris, or at at every birthday, if you're in our house, you get a birthday blessing. That's just how it works. Well, just so happened that my mom and is, is, is divorced. I'm a divorced kid. Um, she's living with a guy. Bless him for it. But so when I went to university and things, she never tended to show up to see me very much. I got married, she didn't show up to see me very much. We had kids and all of that changes. For some of you grandparents, you kind of know that, right? Now my mom is like the most dedicated mother. Every three months she's in our house or we're there. If it's more than three months, that never ever happens. She's always. So as we moved here to Coal Lake and it just so happened that one of these three month periods ended up bang right on her birthday. So. 
she was there, so we immediately jump into a birthday blessing. And I never really realized the impact of those words until that moment. Because I saw my two daughters, they blessed my mom, and I saw things fall off my mother. And then my wife, and then I did. And I know, I mean, we're all parents. We all know that you're not perfect. There's things that you'd really like to take back. But I was able to look at my mom and thank her for those things. And thank her. It was tough being a single mom. It's a tough thing. And especially with a kid like me. But I was able to bless her. I was able to tell her how much I appreciated all the hard work and all the effort that she put in. And as I did that, and we talked about specific situations, I didn't, I wasn't going to go around them. I knew things were tough. And I blessed her for them, and I thanked her for just all the work. And every time I would say something, you would see my mother change and change and change. And it is huge. The mountaintop was extremely huge. Today, she's, she phones and talks about she's going to a Bible study. She's doing all this stuff. And it really started at that blessing to make that change. That's a huge mountaintop. Thanks, buddy. So we've all had mountaintops. But there's a problem with the mountaintop. If you take a look at this picture here, there's a guy on top of a mountain, and he's looking at another mountain. Now, if you see the mountain that he's on, he's standing on green grass. So that tells me that the mountain that he's on is not as high as the mountain that he's looking at. So if he's, maybe he's there and maybe he's dreaming and saying, you know what? Right now I'm here and that's pretty cool. Look at the view. Look at what's happening. But my aspiration is to go climb that mountain because that mountain looks like it's the tallest one around. In order for him to get there, he has to walk down in the valley and then start the climb again. And we don't like the valleys. The valleys is where growth happens. The valleys is where we start to feel stretched, to start to, to feel the pressures of, of life or the pressures of Christianity or the pressures of family. The valleys are where we're like, Lord, will I ever get out of here? I, I don't know about you, but have you ever been on a, on a walk? Like we took a, a, our family on a walk and, and uh, this was last week and we went for probably about five or six K and then once we hit around that 5K mark, little Libby is just like, I can't. Dad, put me on your shoulders. I can't do it. And it's like, Libby, it's hot. And I'm not putting you on my shoulders. You got to do it. We're almost back at the truck. Come on, baby girl. You can do it. And all of a sudden, she's like, okay, I can do it. And we make it back to the truck, and then we just laughed and talked about what a great time it was. But have you been there in life? Where it's like, I can't do it. I just, I just can't make it another step. Holy Spirit is our comforter. Holy Spirit is our guide, and he's sitting there rooting and cheering us on. Come on, man. You can do it. Just a little more. You're almost there. Don't quit now. It's always darkest before the dawn. The end is right there. Don't stop. Keep going. 2 Corinthians um, 
Uh, you know what, I'm gonna hold on there before I go. I, uh, when I first moved to Coal Lake, I was interviewed on the phone by the board members, and one of the questions, they asked me a couple questions, and then they said, okay, do you have any questions for us? I said, yes, I have 11. And I asked them my 11 questions, because for me, it wasn't an interview. It was, Lord, is this a fit for my ministry? And you know what one of the questions was? How do you as a board handle failure? And I wanted to know that. Because I wanted to know if it's kind of like, well, you know, well, it depends. Uh, well, give, give me an example, okay? Here's an example. I really believe the Lord has told me that we're going to bring in the newsboys into Cold Lake and do an outreach. Cost us 100 grand to bring in the newsboys. We bring them in. We do the advertisement. We do all this kind of stuff. We pump it all up. We're all excited. We book out the, uh, the energy center. Everything's ready to go. And two people show up. And neither one of them gets saved. How are you going to handle that? They're like, wow, 100 grand, that's, that's a lot of money. But you know what? We would much rather have a pastor who tries than just sits and does nothing and saves 100 grand. And that's what I said. That's good. Because in failure, that's where we learn. In failure, we could just play it safe our whole lives. But in failure, that's where we grow. And my friends, every one of us in this room are going to fail. Every one of us are going to fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us are going to be on the side of the road bleeding where it's like, I just don't know if I can go any farther. But it's time to get up and just say, God, bring refreshment to my spirit and help me to push through this. Now, 2 Corinthians 12 says, that is why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardship, persecutions, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Isn't that liberating? We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have our act together. And through weakness, we allow Christ to shine. So Elijah, this amazing mountaintop experience that I read to us all, where, where the Lord answers with fire, where 450 prophets of Baal fall, where all of Israel fall on their face before God because they realize on that moment that God is the true God. That's a pretty big mountaintop experience, but immediately the depths of despair follow it. After that amazing victory, Ahab goes back and does, doesn't do what Elijah expects. See, Ahab goes back and he starts to talk to uh, uh, Jezebel. And let's see what he, she, he says in verse 19. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. Let's just pause there for a second. Ahab goes and he starts to talk to Jezebel who wasn't there. And he starts to say, you know what? This is what Elijah did. Killed 450 of our prophets. He did this and he did this. And Jezebel starts to fume. Ahab didn't go back and said, we need to repent. Because there was a battle between the prophet of Baal and the, pro and the God of Israel, and the God of Israel became and made himself known as the true God. We need to get our house in order. But he came back and says, this is what Elijah did. 
So then what happens is she gets so, up, so upset, it says, so in verse 2 it says, So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the God strike me and even kill me by this time tomorrow if I have not killed you, uh, killed you just as you killed them. At that very moment, Elijah, this mighty prophet of God, takes his eyes off the Lord and begins to focus on a problem. There's a queen who's made a vow that Elijah must die. See, Elijah presumed that everyone would repent, but things don't turn out the way that he planned. Can you relate? Have you looked forward to something, believing you have everything mapped out when all of a sudden something changes? This can be so disheartening. The lesson for us is to guard against unrealistic expectations by remembering that God is sovereign. We must never presume that we know his perfect will. We see in part. Have you done that? Things don't go the way that you plan or you expect. There's proverbial pushback, and then this giant of a problem stares you down, and all of a sudden fear and intimidation come in there. It's like, well, I, I thought God told me this. Man, there was that massive mountaintop experience, and all of a sudden Elijah starts to fear. I remember Cindy and I, I was in Bible college, and I was interning under Pastor Hayward out in Kalmar. And the nice thing about pastoring out in Kalmar was when you're interning, you, you, you become really the gopher guy, that you just, whatever the pastor says, you go and do. And a lot of my colleagues were, were interning in some large churches, but they were setting up chairs for their ministry and setting up for a youth group and tearing down and that kind of stuff. Where, where Hayward, he's like, Lance, I want you to preach. I want you to counsel. I want you to lead worship. I want you to do all this kind of stuff because you need to be prepared in all aspects. And, and I had so many opportunities. But, but one couple, the, uh, one, uh, one couple that, uh, a couple as in two ladies in the church, they weren't a couple, but they were a couple of friends. They were struggling with gambling. And, and they, were, they had an addiction to gambling, and, and Pastor Hayward was walking with them and trying to bring freedom to their lives and telling them about how this is detrimental on both their marriages. So one day, Cindy and I, we, went, we were living in Edmonton and ministering out in Kalmar, and our car broke down. And we drove it into this dealership to get our car fixed, and we dropped it off, and they're like, oh, this is a, this is a pretty big problem. I don't remember what it was now, but it was a pretty big problem. They're like, this is going to be with us for about six hours. So we're like, okay. So we are stuck there. We got nowhere to go, and we walk out, and and there's a Wendy's across the road, and we go across the road at Wendy's. So we go into Wendy's, and we eat, thinking that maybe that would cut up six hours. But it's fast food there. And ten minutes later, we're like, now what? So we're like, like there's nothing to do around here. And we're just kind of thinking, like, where, where can we go? Like, six hours is a lot of time when you've got nothing to do, and you're not prepared. You don't have a book. You don't have nothing. And we look across this, the street again, and we see this oasis and this bulletin board flashing stuff. And it says, afternoon bingo every day at 2 o'clock. And we're like, have you ever played bingo? No. Have you? No. What do you say we go play bingo? We're like, sure, we got nothing better to do. So we go in and we sit to the guy and we're like, 
we're here to play bingo. They're like, okay, here's your cards. And they give us some cards, and then they're like, okay. And I'm like, well, how do you, how do you, like, do you have pennies to, to put them on the numbers? They're like, no, you need a bingo dabber. So they sold us bingo dabbers, and we were like, whoa, this is modern technology. You know? So we go and we sit down at this table, and the bingo starts, and we're just playing, and we're stamping the things, and we're talking, and we're putting in the time, and we're having a great old day. And all of a sudden, we look over, and in the door, these two ladies walk in. And we're like, oh, God. I'm the associate pastor under Hayward. I know that Hayward's been counseling them on the wrongs of bingo, and here I am playing bingo. And if they see us and they tell Hayward, I am in so much trouble right now. So we did what anybody would do, and we held hands and prayed. And we said, God, if you get us out of here, we will never play bingo again. Lord, we are so sorry to be in this den of iniquity. God, deliver us. In fact, if the rapture was to happen right now, we would be okay with that. Amen. And I'm looking around and like, how do I do it? Like, there's, there's a door there and I see a fire exit right over there. I'm like, okay, here's the plan. Let's get down. And we, we, like, literally, we got down on the floor under the table. I'm like, here's the plan. We'll crawl out, and we'll hit that door, and we'll go out, and we'll just not even look back. We'll just get out of here as quick as we can. And she says, okay. I said, you ready? She goes, no. I'm like, what do you mean no? She goes, she goes I've got a bingo. I said, forget about it. She goes, but we've won money. I'm like, I don't care. She's like, well, give it to missions. I'm like, I don't care. Let's just go. Who cares? And they call another number. She's like, okay. And this lady heard us, and she's like, what is your guy's problem? And she grabs Cindy's card and goes, bingo, 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 bingo. And we're like, oh, my goodness. And now the focus is on us, and we're under the table like this. And that lady has no idea what's happening. The guy comes over. He's like, calls out the numbers. That's a good bingo. And he gives Cindy the money. And then all of a sudden, um, uh, I'm just watching them the whole time. They're not looking this way. We take the money, and we run for the the fire exit door and leave our cards and the bingo dabbers behind never look back. Have you been there? All of a sudden a problem comes up and the fear of God hits you. And you're like, Lord, what am I going to do? And let's just check back with Elijah in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone in the wilderness, traveling for a day. He sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. See, the enemy's devices have been the same for thousands of years. Elijah starts to focus on the problem and not upon the solution giver. He then runs and hides in the desert, telling his servant to wait so that he goes another day's journey deeper into the desert where he finds solitude under a broom tree, not solitaire with the Lord. And then he finds himself starting to change his focus from the problem onto himself when he says, I am no better than my father's. Lord, just take my life. Suicide is something that we hear a lot about in Cold Lake. It's affected many people in this room. A few years ago, a minister of the gospel took his own life in our town. 
so we know it's no respecters of persons. It's all wrapped up in this place of darkness. I don't know if anyone in this room is currently considering that option or has considered that option in the past, but suicide takes place when there's an absence of hope. And this morning I want to declare that there is always hope through Christ Jesus. When we take our eyes off of the Lord, we start to feel that spirit of hopelessness comes on us. But you know what? We know the Bible says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There's a spirit that is named heaviness. And that can only be defeated through worship and through getting into that place where we praise and we look at the good and we don't focus on the negative. We, got, we start to say, Lord, today I need to count my blessings because, Lord, I know they're there. Even in this darkness, God, I know the blessings of God are in my life and they're evident, Lord. And we need to push through suicide. Once suicide happens, you know, there was that whole thing about whether you go to heaven if you take your own life or whether you don't. You know what? I believe personally that God's grace is sufficient, okay? Like if I was to make a lie, if I was to lie to you right now and then die on the stage, would I get to heaven because I didn't repent of that one sin? I believe that I would. And I believe that suicide is no different. In saying that, once we take our lives and the enemy has won because there's no longer hope, because there's no reason to have the hope, and we leave a mess of hopelessness and a spirit of hopelessness, often for generations to come, because it opens up a doorway of demonic through our family lifeline. And that needs to be broken because that's a curse that, is no, that needs to be null and void. And as believers of the Lord, we can stand before God and say, God, this is something that has affected me. It is something that has affected my family. And Lord, I know that the blood of Jesus Christ is bigger and stronger than this, this mar of suicide and this deception that has been passed upon my father or my mother or my great-great-grandfather or wherever that is. And Lord, I declare today that it is null and void in Jesus' name. We can do that. We can stand in that place. We have the authority to break that lying spirit. We need to remember and memorize scripture. And that's what I love. I told you we went down and we, we spent time with, with, with some different people in the hospital, John and I. And every time we went there, you know, John is like, hey, sister, where are you getting your word from right now? I'm like, that's awesome, John. You know, and he's just like, are you in the word right now in your, in your hospital room? Are you spending that time in the Bible? See, the Bible is great, and the Bible is needed. And if you remember when Jesus did the 40-day fast, that is when the enemy attacked him, and he responded three times, it is written. So when we start to struggle with despair, when we start to struggle with depression, we can walk in that place and say, no. It is written in Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But the problem is, is we can't just go from mountaintop to mountaintop, for it is in the valley that things grow, and it's through the valleys that we as individuals grow and we learn. I am with you. In your struggles, I am with you. In your victories, I am with you. 
I always remember that Psalms 139. Where can I go to escape your presence? If I go down to the depths of Sheol, you are there. If I go to the heavens, you are there. Your thoughts about me, Lord, they're innumerable. They outnumber the grains of sand. God, you are there. Our time is gone, but I can't leave you hanging this morning, so if you'd let me go a little bit over this morning. In 1 Kings 19, chapter 5, it says, Then he lay down under the broom tree, and he, asked, he was sleeping, and an angel touched him. Get up and eat. He looked around there. Beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for the journey ahead will be, will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. Now that's an energy bar. The mountain of God. Then he came to a cave where he spent the night. The Lord speaks to Elijah, but the Lord says to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have both broken their covenant with you. They've tore down the altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there. The Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down the altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way that you came. Travel the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to become the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nish, uh, Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu. And those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who will never bow down to Baal or kiss him. There are many keys in this scripture. The first one is before he dealt with Elijah's spiritual condition, the Lord rejuvenated Elijah physically with rest and nourishment. See, each one of us in this room, we are body, soul, and spirit. Each one of us have four pillars in our lives, and those four pillars equally need to be strong. Strength, mental, physical, and emotional, and spiritual. God brings refreshment to Elijah, and he'll pray for you as well. Psalm 62, 1-2 says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, his fortress, and I will never be shaken. There's some of us in this room who are burnt out and we're tired. And the Lord is saying, it's time to rest in my presence. It's time to come before me and stop striving because I want to speak life into you. I want to feed you. I want to, to nurse you. And I want to send you out again. Next, we see he got Elijah to face his true condition. The real problem. Taking the position of a counselor, the Lord asks him twice, why are you here? In other words, take stock. Think about what you're doing. 
See, this morning I'm about to say something that you've heard a million times before and your brain is going to naturally just want to shut it off and not listen to it because it's like, yeah, I know that next. But I want us all just to really listen for a moment. And I want us all just to really ponder this and really catch it. It is so simple. Are you ready? God is not dead. He's alive. He desires to have a relationship with us. Some of us hear through scriptures, some of us through prayer, some through nature and seeing his handiwork all around us, others through symbols, whatever that is, that doorway is that takes us closer to Jesus. He wants to be part of your life. He wants to talk to you. I wonder in the, in the world and the age that we're living in, when we hear believers say, you know what, the Lord spoke to me the other day, if we're like, seriously, you're a mental case. And our mind starts to think these things and immediately we discount spirituality as hocus pocus and the Lord is like, really? Do you think that I'm dead? Or do you believe that I'm alive and I want to walk with you? I desire to have relationship with you. I desire to show you my intimacies. I desire to walk with you and to share with you the secrets of the kingdom of God. That's who God is. It shouldn't be weird to hear the voice of the Lord. It should be something natural that we do every single day by saying, Lord, help me to silence busyness. Help me to take my focus off of what is not important and focus on you, Lord. Teach me, God, how I can connect with you and grow me and develop me as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Number three, God speaks to him personally in verses 9, 12, 13, and 15. This illustrates the need to be in the word where we listen to the word, hearing that still small voice. What I love about this is Elijah didn't earn the voice of God. He didn't strive for it, but through his refreshment, the Lord lavishes upon him. The gospel is often a gentle voice, love, grace, mercy, peace, pardon, righteousness and salvation through Jesus Christ. No matter who you are or what you've done, God's love for you, it's everlasting. And he's wanting to pour it out on all those who are broken, all those who are weary, for he is faithful. Number four, next we see he, uh, he gets Elijah active and involved in ministry again. Note, so many times we think resting in the Lord is okay. I, Pastor, I can no longer pray and join the prayer team because the Lord has called me to a season of rest. I can no longer help out at women's ministry because the Lord has called me to a season of rest. There's time for that. Don't, don't get me wrong. But in, when, we start, uh, uh, when, when the Lord says in verse 15, go return on your way, he's telling him, I'm preparing you. And he goes and starts to anoint people and tell them, you're going to replace me. You're going to be king. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. He gets them back into ministry. See, when we start to feel down and depressed, apart from getting that needed rest, do not give in to the temptation to mope around and do nothing. Doing nothing only reinforces depression. By the same token, never use activity to numb the pain, but give it to the Lord. There's balance. There's balance in everything, and we need to find balance of our life, balance of work and balance of rest. 
to be able to be right where God wants us to be. And if it's too high on one end of the scale, the scale is going to tip and we're going to be unhealthy. But remember, rest, relaxation, and solitude with the Lord needs to have that balance to be able to work in ministry, but always out of a spirit of faith and never just activity. And finally, we see God provide Elijah with a companion. Team, would you come? He commanded him to find Elisha. Elijah was trying to do too much himself. He had to learn to share the workload and, burden, uh, and the burden with others. Eventually, others must be able to share our load and then even take our place. Isn't that awesome about the kingdom of God? We're not alone. It was never, ever meant for us to be a lone ranger Christian, a lone wolf. But God is calling us to that place of intimacy with him. And he's calling us to have people in our lives to really bring balance. I was praying the other day, and I've been praying for a long time, God, show me, show me, God, who in my life I can really be me around. And that can be tough sometimes because there's certain aspects of you that you don't want to share with people because you don't want people to not like you. You don't want people to think, oh, you shouldn't be thinking that. You shouldn't be feeling that. You're a pastor. That is wrong. And the Lord just started to give me strategy and wisdom on different ones to sort of bring close and just say, you know what? I'm having a real crappy day. You know what? I know that's offended somebody here right now, and I apologize. But it's truth. We have crappy days, don't we? And if we have no one that we can just come alongside and say, you know what, would you pray for me? Because my head's not screwed on straight right now. I'm not thinking right. And I'm really thinking some crazy thoughts. We need one another. We need to have a Paul in our life, someone who just comes alongside as a spiritual dad or spiritual mom and speak life into our hearts. We need to have a Barnabas, a friend, a colleague. For the Bible tells us that iron sharpens iron. But we also need to have Timothy. Sometimes I think we get too busy for Timothy. Where it's like, yeah, I got someone speaking into my life. I got friends that I love to hang out with and, and talk to them and be honest with. But oh man, I don't have time for a mentor right now. I don't have time to mentor someone right now. They're just going to slow me down or be annoying. And you know what? We've got to change that mind thinking. Every single one of us in this room needs to have a Paul, a Barnabas, at least one. A Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. And if we don't, we're incomplete. And we need to seek the face of God and say, God, show me. Show me who in my life needs to fill either one of those roles or all of those roles. Because that is when we start to thrive as believers. You know, I'm just going to call up 
the elders this morning to come on up to the front with their spouses. And this morning, maybe you're here and you're having a crappy day. Maybe you're here and you're just like, you know what, I wasn't even going to come today. But Holy Spirit, I'm so thankful that I did. Because I've been battling with a depression. I've been battling with the spirit of heaviness. And I've been thinking that I'm going out of my mind. And I've been thinking that it's not normal as a believer to go through this. And then we read about Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of the Bible. And we're like, wow. But Lord, we can learn from that. And we can grow from that. And we can walk through it. And say, God, help me, Lord. And if you're here this morning and you're just like, you know what? I just really feel like I'm going through that spiritual battle. Our time is like 20 minutes past. And I know the kids need to be picked up. And I'm going to dismiss the service right now. But if you just would really love to have some prayer, Pastor Cynthia is so gracious in holding the kids back because she cares for you to be able to get ministry. So would you come forward and have us pray with you? And if you just want to be left alone and not have anyone lay hands on you, you just don't want to share with anybody, then just come on up and kneel at the front. But today, I don't recommend that. Okay, I usually kind of say that for those who know me, but today I don't recommend that because, again, we don't want to isolate ourselves. We want to stand before someone and say, you know what, I need you to pray for me because I'm really struggling. And I need someone to know about it who's not going to just pray for me at the altar, but you know what, these guys pray for you during the week. These guys will remember and they go to that place and just say, Holy Spirit, whenever you bring that back to my memory, would you help me to pray for these people? We want to pray for you. We want to partner with you and love on you the best of our abilities. In Jesus' name. Have a fantastic week. Don't forget fall kickoff. Promote it. Man, let's have this place packed out and let's, let's believe next week that we're going to see 100 people saved in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.